Hello and welcome to Capital Cast, a regular podcast of Capital News, Illinois. You're about to hear discussion on a constitutional amendment that will appear on the ballots on November 8th regarding a constitutional right to unionize. You'll hear a discussion organized by the Illinois Associated Press media editors with one proponent and one opponent of the amendment that will appear on your ballot this year. With that, I'll leave it to the discussion and thank you for listening. Hello, I'm John Lampin, and I'm a member of the Illinois Associated Press Media Editors Board and also a representative with the uh, Daily Herald in suburban Chicago. Today is Thursday, September 29th, 2020, and we're about to begin uh, what we think is a pretty unique interview with two authorities with sharply different views on Amendment 1, an important collective bargaining question on the November ballot that really hasn't received the attention that it deserves. Offering their perspectives are uh, Joe Bowen, Communications Director for Vote Yes for Workers' Rights, and Miley Smith. She's the Director of Labor Policy and a Staff Attorney with the Illinois Policy Institute, which has been an outspoken critic of the proposal. I said this is a uh, unique interview. Uh, it is because for the first time, the Illinois AP Media Editors Association has brought together uh, more than 20 of the state's newspapers uh, to participate with this uh, interview representing all parts of uh, Illinois. Uh, not only to discuss this, but uh, some of the other major statewide issues on the ballot this fall. Questions for today's interview were solicited from the mall, as well as from Capital News Illinois, uh, which is reporting on, the inter on today's interview. Each news organization uh, plans to post this interview and to publish coverage in their newspapers. I'm joined in today's interview panel by Dennis Anderson, Vice President of News and Content Development for Shaw Media, and uh, Scott Holland, uh, the state government columnist uh, for Shaw Media. Uh, if the first you hear of the amendment to the state constitution is uh, when you find it on your election ballot, you might be perplexed by its meaning and implications. It reads, Amendment 1 would add the following language to Article 1 of the Illinois Constitution. Employees shall have the fundamental right to organize and to bargain collectively through representatives of their own choosing for the purpose of negotiating wages, hours, and working conditions, and to protect their economic welfare and safety at work. No law shall be passed that interferes with, negates, or diminishes the right of employees to organize and bargain collectively over their wages, hours, and other terms and conditions of employment and workplace safety, including any law or ordinance that prohibits the execution or application of agreements between employers and labor organizations that represent employees, uh, requiring membership in an organization as a condition of employment. And B, the provisions of this section are controlling over those of Section 6 of Article 7. And so we'll start our questioning with uh, opening statements. Uh, Joe Bowen of uh, Oh Yes for Workers' Rights. What does the amendment mean and what are its implications? Thank you, and thank you all for having me, and thank you, Maylie, for joining me on the panel today. The Workers' Rights Amendment will guarantee your fundamental rights in the workplace to organize and bargain collectively with your coworkers to negotiate for things like better pay, safer working conditions, and crucially, it will also protect Illinois voters from politicians who try to take away their rights in the future. It's a tremendous opportunity for every Illinois worker to vote for themselves on November 8th, and it will enshrine protections that most of us already enjoy while extending protection to workers who don't currently have it. It will be a tremendous win for our workers as well as our entire economy and local communities. 
and uh, Miley with the Illinois policy. Yeah, thank you for having me. Amendment one will drive up taxes and will cement Illinois' reputation as one of the worst places in the nation to do business. And that's because it is a first of its kind constitutional amendment that does four things. One, it grants a fundamental right to unionize that applies only to state and local government workers. Second, it expands bargaining for government unions beyond the typical subjects of wages and benefits. It goes beyond that to include broad new subjects like economic welfare. That's something that has not been defined in the amendment. It's not defined in state law, and it's not defined in other similar laws like the National Labor Relations Act. Um, that could mean things like the expansion of affordable housing or positions on rent abatement could be demanded by government unions, like we've actually seen CTU try to get into their agreement with CPS. Third, it prohibits lawmakers as the people's representatives from ever enacting reforms or fixes. So if lawmakers decide down the line, oh, wow, we didn't mean economic welfare to mean all of these broad subjects, they could never go back and define what economic welfare actually is because they'd be prohibited in the amendment itself from doing that. And then the fourth provision is the only part that applies to the private sector, and that is a ban on right to work. We're not a right to work state as it is, so that really won't change a whole lot other than prohibiting lawmakers from ever changing their mind on that. And so what does all of this mean? It means that there's virtually no limit on what government unions can demand and go on strike over because there would be a permanent right to go on strike. Government union leaders could demand more subjects and go on strike to get those subjects into their contracts. Lawmakers can never change that. They couldn't limit the right to strike. They couldn't limit the subjects that can be negotiated. They couldn't even limit the length of contracts. And we've seen contracts in Chicago and in a school district in Illinois of 10 years. And the money for these broad new provisions has to come from somewhere. Um, it could be gas taxes, it could be income taxes, um, but it's most likely going to be property taxes, which we've already seen steadily rise on, on homeowners. Um, no other states, have included any one of these provisions, let alone all four. And so we really don't know just how broad this could be and what all unions could demand and how high taxes could rise because it's never been tested. Um, so the bottom line is that Illinois workers already have some of the strongest protections in the nation and they don't need Amendment 1. And Amendment 1 won't, if it's defeated, won't change that. Um, but Amendment 1 will lead to increased government union demands which will lead to increased government costs, which will be passed on to taxpayers. And that's what's at stake with Amendment 1. Okay. All right. Thank you. You know, I want to go back to Joe a little bit. You went a little longer than we anticipated, so I want to give him a chance to respond to some of that And before we get on to our questions. Joe, just a brief response. Sure. The Workers' Rights Amendment has nothing to do with taxes. Uh, John led this discussion by reading the amendment, and it's very clear. It's about your ability to organize and bargain collectively in the workplace. It also protects those rights from special interests and anti-worker politicians who would try to take them away in the future. Secondly, we don't pick and choose who the Illinois Constitution applies to. These protections would be extended to all workers, and I think it's critically important at a time when we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, and we've seen a lot of unpredictability and rights under attack, both federally and here in Illinois, to make sure that these rights stay in a lockbox and that they're safe for workers for generations to come.
Okay, Scott, I think you had a question. Yeah, uh, we'll start with the questioning and uh, your opening statements were very comprehensive. So apologies if we're a little um, repetitive, but um, Joe, I wanted to ask uh, specifically, um, Illinois already offers strong union protections and we do have the federal law that protects private employees. So if you could speak a little bit about um, what is necessary, uh, what your site sees is necessary in terms of enacting this amendment um, in those specific areas. What what are we going to add that we don't have already? All right, the workers' rights amendment will protect rights that most of us are already very proud and fortunate to enjoy. There are also hundreds of thousands of workers, at least throughout Illinois, who don't currently have protections under federal law. This will extend protections at the state level to those workers. I think it's critically important that we step up to the plate for the working people of Illinois and guarantee that they have these rights now and in the future because we spend almost half of our lives in the workplace. Whether or not you have the ability to earn a good living, to stay safe on the job, it really impacts every part of your life. So making sure that we guarantee these protections in the Illinois Constitution is critically important and workers are excited to have this opportunity to vote for themselves. Okay. And then Miley, you also addressed this in your opening statement, but um, the, the question has been raised about the application only to public employee unions and what aspects might be applicable to those outside uh, the public sector. What, how does your organization view you know, those two issues? It's a really important question because the language of the amendment itself is misleading in its apparent application to all employees. But when the federal government occupies a space, as it does in the private sector collective bargaining context. So when the federal government occupies a space, a state can't come in and also try to regulate that space. Um, it's preempted from doing so. Um, and that's what is happening here. The federal government already regulates private sector labor relations under the National Labor Relations Act. And so Amendment 1 can't come in and also try to regulate in that space or provide more protections in that space because the federal government is already there. Um, the, the Supreme Court precedent, U.S. Supreme Court precedent is not on proponent's side here. Um, they've specifically said that the NLRA is preempt, pre, sorry, that the NLRA preempts any state law that would regulate any activity that the NLRA protects. Um, they've said that a state law that is preempted by the National Labor Relations Act violates the supremacy clause of the US Constitution. So Supreme Court precedent shows that the amendment cannot apply to the private sector. Um, and proponents of this also have admitted that. Senator Villavallum um, from the Senate session transcript, he was the main sponsor of this bill, um, has a long quote about how this does not apply to the private sector, ending with um, the, the following, which was, therefore, as federal labor law stands today, the amendment could not apply to the private sector. So it's surprising to see proponents argue that it can apply when the law is not on their side. Uh, Miley, let me uh, jump in with a, a question here for you. Uh, let me remind you that we're, we want to keep these to about 90 Sorry, seconds. I could talk about this all day. I'm very <laughs> passionate. <laughs> Understood. Um, the Illinois Policy Institute has said this amendment would undercut 35 state laws that are on the books. Could you identify one of them that you feel is most important? Yeah, it's actually 350 state laws. And the reason is that this elevates 
the collective bargaining agreements to the level of a constitution. And there is already precedent in Illinois for union contracts in some contexts to trump state law. So we went through the statutes and identified over 350 laws. These things include um, background checks on teachers for licensing. If a teacher's union didn't want to have background checks as part of the job application process, the hiring process, they could write that into their contract. It could keep government union contracts a secret. They could actually void the FOIA law that requires government union contracts to be open to the public simply by writing that provision into the contract. And like I said, there's already law, there's already statute that allows that in some respects, the amendment will allow that to apply to all government union contracts. Thank you. Uh, Joe, do you have anything you want to add to that or respond to? No. Okay. Then uh, this is a question for Joe. Um, could you provide some examples of employee unions that are being suppressed by their governments or businesses and in what ways? I think it's very plain for folks to see if you look at the national news that there are corporations that engage in pretty frequent and fairly intense anti-worker and anti-union activities. The two most notable examples that folks could name recently were Starbucks and Amazon, but in the history of unions and the history of workers, companies have always taken pointed actions to try to suppress their ability to organize their workplaces and punish workers who have engaged in organizing activities. That's why it's critically important that we pass these protections so that workers are safe, not only going to work, earning a good living, but talking to their coworkers about their circumstances at work and things that they need to live a healthy and successful life. Thank you. Could I respond to that? Sure. I just want to point out that the only examples that were provided are private sector. And as I've already mentioned, the Supreme Court has said explicitly that the NLRA stands in the way of any states trying to regulate in this space. So it cannot apply to those examples that he provided. And if I might offer a response to that, I participated in a discussion that was similar to this last week that was hosted by the Citizens Club of Springfield. Todd Meesh from the Illinois Chamber of Commerce was on that panel, and he agreed that this does apply to all workers in Illinois. John? Uh, yeah, if I could ask, and, and before I go on to my next question, I did want to check with uh, with you, Joe, on, uh, you know, Miley, it's uh, a couple of her examples. One of them was that, that unions could avoid the uh, FOIA law if they so uh, chose, could say, you know, we want this contract to be... Uh, uh, closed and it certainly does sound like that might be part of uh, what this uh, amendment uh, could require. Is that true? Is that possible that you could have a collective bargaining agreement that the public wouldn't be able to see? No, I don't believe it's legally permissible to enter into a contract that violates state or federal law. Section 15 of the Illinois Labor Relations Act already provides that any collective bargaining agreement that is negotiated under our Illinois Labor Protections Act can trump state law. So it specifically provides that if um, there is a conflict between a collective bargaining agreement and any state law or regulation or ordinance, the collective bargaining agreement wins out. That doesn't currently apply to educators, but it will if this amendment goes into effect. Okay, okay Miley, I wanna come back to you and uh, ask you this. And uh, looking at the legislative vote, the vote to put this on the ballot, it was, you know, relatively bipartisan. Um, you know, more Republicans, some Republicans certainly uh, oppose it, but 
uh, several uh, Republicans voted both in the Senate and the House to put this on the ballot. If this is so objectionable, uh, why would it find support in both parties? I think part of the reason is that it slipped under the radar. There was an amendment in 2019 that was considered that was only supposed to apply to right to work. So it was really only that last part of what's in Amendment 1. And I think a lot of Republicans thought this was more of the same and saw it as you know, politically expedient to support a ban on right to work. If proponents intended this to only be a ban on right to work, they could have stuck with that language, but they didn't. They included more. And I think this just kind of flew under the radar. Joe, your comments on that? I think that the support that this received from both parties and both legislatures is a testament to the fact that workers' rights is not a political issue. This is an economic and kitchen table issue for people throughout Illinois. In the history of our state, we have had strong and successful unions throughout the state, southern Illinois, the Chicago area, Quad Cities, and people understand the value that they get from collective bargaining, from having a stronger voice in the workplace, and from joining together with their coworkers. Uh, let me come back to you, Joe, and ask you this question. You know, several years ago, when the state was grappling with the public pension issue, uh, which seems to be debated so much less these days, but at the time, uh, and the state legislature was moving to address it and found its hands were tied by strict uh, constitutional guarantees from 1969, I think it was 69. Uh, if this passed, or passes, are we apt to find uh, a similar... Uh, unexpected restrictions down the, down the road in terms of how the legislature can solve uh, some of the state's other problems? I don't believe so. The fiscal issues that we have here in Illinois were caused by politicians, not by workers. And the Workers' Rights Amendment very clearly guarantees your right to negotiate for better pay, for better benefits, guarantees those collective bargaining rights, and does not have anything to do with pensions. Okay. Miley, your thoughts on that? And, and if you think it... Uh, would if you could give us some examples of things that might, uh, you know, uh, tie that legislature's hands on it. I would refer to this almost as the pension clause on steroids. Um, we have seen how the pension clause in the amendment has tied the hands of lawmakers and in inhibited them from making any sort of reforms that would benefit the people of Illinois. And this amendment um, actually. Tim Dre of the Illinois AFL-CIO has likened this amendment to the pension clause and to the Illinois lockbox. It's going, it's definitely a lockbox amendment. It's going to lock the taxpayers into paying forever increasing demands from government unions. Um, lawmakers, like I have said, won't be able to limit the subjects that can be negotiated. We know government contracts already cost money. The 2019 CTU contract, the total annual cost of that contract in its last year is $2.6 billion, according to reporting at the Tribune. This expands bargaining. So contracts already cost money. This expands bargaining to more subjects. They can go on strike to get those demands met. So we know government will cost more. And that cost is going to be passed on to taxpayers. It's going to lock them into ever-increasing tax rates um, and we're seeing people flee the state, and that's one of their number one reasons. Um, Miley, you your answer there at the end kind of led in a little bit into our next question about the um, the Illinois Policy Institute talking point about uh, guaranteeing of of higher taxes as a result of this. Um, 
opponents of that line of thinking have, have suggested that that is either guesswork or that it is not, uh, the guarantee is too strong of a word in that context, um, especially given that the cost of government tends to go up every year anyway, as you say, uh, or, you know, in general. So maybe if you could put some numbers behind what we're looking at in terms of uh, the IPI calculations on increased taxes, and if there's uh, maybe coming at you unprepared, but if there's any context uh, to compare to just the general cost of, sure. you know, business going up as it is. Yeah. So if property tax rates simply continue to increase at their long run average rate, the typical homeowner will pay over 2100 over $2,100 more in additional property taxes over the next four years. So that's the baseline, the bottom threshold. And that's based on the current trajectory of property tax rates and home values um, continuing to rise at the current rate since 2010. So, you know, if, if it's status quo, we're talking about $2,100 more in additional property taxes over the next four years. But taxes will likely increase at a higher rate because of the new demands that we've talked about that government um, government union leaders will be able to make. And part of the reason that it's hard to put a solid number on it is because we don't know what these increased demands might, me might mean for the state. Um, we already allow bargaining over wages, hours, and terms and conditions of employment. That's very typical across the board in the states and in the National Labor Relations Act. Adding economic welfare is the unknown. We don't know what they might demand and how much that might cost. Um, so there's a lot of an uncertainty involved with this amendment and what it will do for the taxpayers in Illinois. Joe, did you have specific thoughts on that response? Yeah, I mean, I take Miley at her own word. We don't know what will happen tomorrow. And I think in all of the research that they've presented on property taxes, they've been very clear that if we do nothing, if we maintain the status quo, this is what's going to happen. And I think that we all agree that politicians should stop doing nothing. The workers' rights amendment does not raise taxes. In fact, it'll have a positive impact for local budgets because people will be earning more money. And when we know when working families earn more money, which in Illinois is about 15% more than a non-union counterpart, they don't just keep that money for themselves. They spend it in local businesses, they take their family out to dinner, and that spending doesn't just benefit those families and those small businesses, it benefits our entire economy and state and local governments as well. Joe, if enacted, what might voters and taxpayers expect uh, the next time local teachers or um, the FOP go to the negotiating table? What, what do you think uh, would happen? What's next? I think that they will expect to see some negotiation. And I think it's important to keep in mind that in every scenario that we're talking about, we're talking about agreements that have not been negotiated. Uh, these are agreements that are between employers and employees. And it's up to the, both of those groups to decide that they have an equitable agreement that works for both parties. I think that just assuming some type of worst case scenario is not exactly wise for us. I do not believe that this will lead to any expanded demands, as Miley said, I think will, it will guarantee people's ability to negotiate for fair pay, for better benefits, and for safe working conditions. Miley, response? We're already seeing businesses leave Illinois because of our tax climate. Um, so it's a scary proposition to think that our taxes are going to go up. But there's no debate that government contracts cost money. And when you have more subjects to negotiate, it takes longer. That in itself 
drives up the cost of negotiations, which is passed on to government costs and the taxpayers. Um, so while property taxes or taxes doesn't necessarily appear in the words of this amendment, that is what the effect of this amendment will be. And uh, you know, going back to a previous question, it's it's too bad that people didn't consider the worst case scenario when the pension clause was up for debate. Because if they had, we may not be in the pension mess that we are today. Uh, let me come back to you, Miley, a, a little bit to uh, what uh, uh, Joe said, because um, one of the uh, points that proponents uh, make frequently, that I've heard frequently, is, hey, uh, you know, a uh, increased wages helps everybody. But states that have higher wages are healthier than states that uh, have lower wages, and that unions help uh, increase wages. And uh, so that should be good for everybody. Um, what's your response to that? There's a couple of reports that we have on our website um, that show a couple of things. One is that states with higher union density have higher um, taxes and higher debt. We also have another report that demonstrates that the costlier the government contracts are, the, the worse it makes it for the private sector employee, and it takes away their wages. And that's what we already have in Illinois. And if Amendment 1 is enacted, it's, it's going to exacerbate that. I don't have those like specific um, reports pulled up, but I can definitely make those accessible afterward. Joe, anything more you want to say about that? Sure. Uh, the Illinois Economic Policy Institute has done extensive research on this, as have other nonprofits and universities across the country. And the statistics are very compelling. If you're a union worker in Illinois, you make 15% more than a non-union counterpart. You're also more likely to have affordable health care, which reduces the likelihood that you'll ever need public assistance. That also drives down the cost of government. You're also more likely to own your own home and contribute property taxes to begin with. When wages go up, our entire state does better. We've seen it time and time again. And I think one of the most powerful ways that we can attract businesses to Illinois is investing in their workplace. If workers want to come to Illinois, so will, so will businesses. And making sure that folks earn a good wage, that they have safe workplaces, and that they can negotiate for better benefits will be a huge win for our entire state. Right. Uh, thank you. I'd like to go back a little bit to what uh, Miley had talked about before about, you know, not getting into this FOI thing, but but the issues that, you know, this opens up all sorts of uh, things. Some critics have said the legislation wouldn't just protect workers in terms of compensation and safety that uh, would give them expanded influence and power on such issues as uh, whether, whether, say, uh, police unions uh, uh, must abide by police reform issues or uh, uh, or whether teachers could uh, veto a school school curriculum uh, policy uh, whether people can work from home at the county clerk's office all that kind of thing is that uh, true and if so uh, you know how much power would the unions gain in these areas and would that necessarily be a bad thing go to Joe with that question no I don't believe that that will be true what we're looking to do is guarantee your ability to join together with your coworkers to negotiate for better pay, 
for workplace safety, for fair working conditions. And when we talk about your economic well-being and working conditions, we're talking about the conditions at work. Do you have a safe workplace? Are you able to complete your work and get home safely to your family? Are you being paid fairly? I think that these, this is a very clear amendment. We're here to guarantee your right to join with your coworkers, to organize and to bargain collectively. And that's it. Miley. Yeah. So if this wasn't about expanding rights, then they didn't need to include things like economic welfare and safety at work. We already have state laws that protect wages, hours, and terms and conditions of employment, the exact things that Joe just pointed out. So they're already protected there. We also reached out to the Illinois State Board of Education to find out what would happen if currently a teacher's union tried to negotiate curriculum into their contract. And their response, and I don't have this quoted exactly, but I do have it quoted in a, a blog post, is that if it's not explicitly prohibited, it's a potential negotiating subject. So they wouldn't say, yes, you can negotiate it, but that it is possible that even now you can negotiate over curriculum. And in our research, we identified at least 38 curriculum standards or curriculum requirements that are in our state laws that could be overridden by um, contracts should this amendment pass and be elevated to that level of the Constitution. And if I could just respond um, to one other thing in, in response to Joe, just talking about this elevating workers' pay and their ability to go out and, and um, go to restaurants. Again, this only applies to the public, state and local government workers, which only make up 7% of our adult population. So if we're talking about this raising wages, it's if, 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 we, if I was going to say, okay, yeah, it will, which I'm not, but even if it was, it would only apply to 7% of our state's population. Again, um, this is a, a fundamental disagreement that we have. The Workers' Rights Amendment applies to all workers. So to that point specifically, um, and, and I'm not sure <laughs> which one of you wants to, to go first, but um, we have talked about um, the situation with, um, you know, what, what we would gain by passage of the amendment we don't already have. What impact are we looking at potentially on independent contractors? Is, is that anything that's been delineated yet? Miley, why don't you go first on that? Sure. So that's a great question. This is something that California has attempted to legislate um, in bringing independent contractors into the unionization fold. And it's been a disaster. Um, there have been, tra I don't know if you'd call them trailer bills there, but there have been um, propositions that have made it onto the ballot, a proposition made it onto the ballot to refine it. There has been legislation that has trimmed it down because it was such a disaster trying to pull independent contractors into unionization. Um, what's ironic about that is that um, that took lawmakers fixing the bill because once it brought independent contractors into the fold, there were so many problems, it took lawmakers to fix it, which is exactly what Amendment 1 would not allow lawmakers to do. If there are problems with the way this is implemented, lawmakers can't go in and try to change it because they're explicitly prohibited from doing so in the amendment. Again, I don't believe that that's true. Uh, John read the amendment at the beginning of this discussion, and it very clearly says that it will prevent politicians from passing laws that interfere with your ability to organize and bargain collectively. I think that that language is very clear. Secondly, this amendment applies to employer-employee relationships specifically. 
it does not have any underlying impacts for independent contractors at the moment, but the legislature would be able to revisit any laws that pertain to those folks at any time. Uh, if I could, if I could ju just jump in real quickly for the two of you. If there were unseen complications with this, it is a constitutional amendment. So the only way to fix any unforeseen problems that might occur after this would be to pass another constitutional amendment, correct? Am I right about that? That is correct. We see that with the pension clause, that the only way, well, I shouldn't say the only way, but the biggest way to fix that is through another constitutional amendment. Um, and we see that in the explicit language that prohibits lawmakers from enacting or anything that would negate or interfere with um, collective bargaining in under this amendment. So they couldn't fix something, like I said, like if there were too many subjects that Chicago Teachers Union is trying to negotiate into their contract and going on strike over, they couldn't go back and limit those subjects. No. I don't have a response. Anyway, I think I jumped in front of Scott who had another question. 34 minutes in, and we finally had someone who left themselves on mute. Sorry, I had to be you, Scott. Sorry about that. Um, we, we're kind of in that same um, ballpark anyway uh, with, with where we were going with the next question. Um, you know, we've talked about, um, Miley, I think it was you who brought up that the, the feeling that it, before this amendment got put on the, the ballot, there was a push to enshrine it, uh, anti-right-to-work legislation. Um, and so it, it's your position that this uh, this amendment includes that and more. Um, but specifically, let's look at that right to work concept. And, um, you know, I, you've demonstrated that this goes beyond preventing future governors or legislatures from trying to enact that or even at the local level. Um, could you talk a little bit about what the problem is with right to work legislation from your perspective? Oh, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with right to work legislation. Um, the majority of states actually allow right to work. Right to work doesn't inhibit collective bargaining in any way. It doesn't prohibit it. It doesn't regulate it. It only allows workers to decide for themselves whether or not to join a union. Um, Illinois would be making itself an outlier by putting this in our constitution. Um, no other states ban right to work in their constitution. Nine states allow it through their constitution. So no other states ban it in their constitution. Um, so we would be taking a path that is contradictory to the majority of states. And Joe, it would seem that your organization is probably in favor of limiting uh, the power of governments to enact right to work laws. Could you, you know, kind of illustrate that position a little bit? Yeah, these anti-worker laws drive down wages, so they make workplaces less safe, and they really don't do that much for your business climate. Uh, and I know that because the Republican governor of West Virginia, Jim Justice, said that right-to-work laws have had very little positive benefit for his state. When you look at what workers earn in states that have good worker rights law, workers' rights laws compared to these anti-worker states, the numbers speak for themselves. Families earn almost $11,000 more in states that support workers' rights than states that have anti-worker laws. They're more than 50% less likely to be in a serious workplace accident or die. These are very compelling reasons to avoid these laws that are not designed to improve your situation at work, to make you safer, or to put more money in your pocket. Voting yes for the workers' rights amendment will put more money in the pockets of working families, 
It'll help all of our economies across the state, and it'll protect you from having politicians try to pass laws here in Illinois that would take away those rights and drive down wages. Can I res just respond one thing? Um, the right to work, right to work isn't really up for debate in Illinois. Um, government un unions here have done a really good job of convincing the public and lawmakers that we don't need right to work in the state. Um, we're not right to work. If Amendment 1 doesn't pass, we won't become right to work. There is no immediate chance on the horizon of our lawmakers deciding to give us right to work. So, you know, to say that workers, that this is going to put more money in their pockets if it passes or harm workers if it doesn't pass, ignores the status quo that we don't have right to work as it is. Hey, Miley, if I could just, it looked like Joe wanted to say something. Go ahead, Joe. I think it's important to remember that in the fairly recent history of Illinois, there have been politicians who have tried to pass anti-worker laws, including right to work. We know that there is always another attack against working people coming. That's why it's important that we do what we kind of protect workers from laws like that. I guess I wanted to follow up with you, Miley, on this, that, you know, until recently, uh, everybody thought uh, uh, the abortion issue was settled law too, and now it's uh, suddenly, you know, it's suddenly up for so how would you respond to people who say, hey, you never know what's coming down the pike, and if we've got to insure, uh, insure something? Yeah, so if we're talking private sector, the National Labor Relations Act has actually been around decades longer than Roe versus Wade was. Um, it's also a federal law, not a Supreme Court precedent. So, and that's exactly how lawmakers at our federal level are addressing the Dobbs decision is by putting into federal law. Um, so it's already in federal law uh, at, under the National Labor Relations Act. So there's there's really no chance of this going away. Um, to say that this is a, you know, a, something that's going to put in place a protection in case the National Labor Relations Act ever goes away is really a non-argument because it's not going away. Any more comments, Joe? Well, to your point, John, as you said a few months ago, we would have said the same things about Roe v. Wade, which became law in 1973. The last time the National Labor Relations Act was amended or updated was 1974. I think workers deserve to have these rights enshrined in, enshrined in the Illinois Constitution, and they deserve protection from politicians who would try to take these rights away, which we've seen both at the state level and at the local level. Uh, Joe, what would you say to somebody who says, you know, I kind of I kind of like these protections, but I'm a little worried and I don't really understand why today's voters uh, should enshrine them in a way that our grandchildren or great-grandchildren would have, you know, little or no voice in altering or refining them. What, what do you say to people who would ask you that? I think that the previous question is a great segue to this. We need to guarantee workers' rights in the Illinois Constitution because we don't know what could happen tomorrow, and your rights in the workplace shouldn't be subject to change based on who's governor or who happens to be in charge of the state Senate. We are, we've seen our rights under attack at the federal level like never before on everything from voting rights to bodily autonomy, which we've discussed. That's why it's so critically important to make sure that Illinois will always be a workers' rights state and guarantee these rights because your children deserve those rights. You deserve those rights. Yeah. Uh, Miley? I would just point out that the political whims argument 
ignores the fact that we have been under control of one party for what, like four decades, four decades, most of four decades, all of my life. Um, and that the only times that, well, that our, my main concern is the tax issue. And we also see Illinois taxes continue to go up. And I don't want to lose sight of the fact that this opens up government contracts to cost more money than they ever have. Government contracts already cost money. Where is that money going to come from? It's going to drive up taxes and it's going to prevent lawmakers from making reforms, taxpayer friendly reforms that the people might want. You know, you could have 100% of the people saying, oh, vote this bill in and they can't unless they make it a constitutional amendment. Um, it will increase taxes on everyone. It can't apply to most workers because most workers are not in that 7% of state and local, but it will raise taxes on everyone. Okay, uh, thank you. You know, we're just about out of time. We wanted to give each of you uh, a couple of minutes to uh, kind of sum up and particularly if there's a, a piece of this topic that uh, we haven't addressed today, give you a chance to uh, address that. And uh, uh, we started at the beginning, I think, with Joe. So we'll start this one with Miley. Okay. Um, thank you again for, for doing this. I think this is an important discussion to be having because like you said at the beginning, it's not something that's being talked about. I would just want to conclude by noting that Illinoisans are already facing financial hardships. We are We have the second highest property taxes in the nation. We lead the nation in foreclosures. We've had 24 new taxes and fees since Pritzker took office, um, about $2,000 in new taxes per family. We have an ever-increasing population decline pro problem. The number one reason cited again is high taxes. Businesses are leaving, citing the high taxes and the poor business climate. Just this year alone, we've seen Caterpillar and Citadel and Boeing move their headquarters out of state, citing the poor business climate here. Amendment 1 is only going to make things worse. I know I've said it already, but government union contracts cost money. And the new costs that are associated with the expanded bargaining under Amendment 1 will be passed on to taxpayers. The Illinoisans need relief, not more taxes. Illinois businesses, which have already struggled post-COVID, need relief in order to stay and thrive, not more taxes. Um, at Illinois Policy, we, we love Illinois, and we want to see people and businesses staying here and thriving. Um, I, I mentioned this before, but like I've spent four decades here, born and bred here, raising a family here. But it's so disheartening to see our friends and family leaving the state and business opportunities leaving the state. No workers are going to lose rights if Amendment 1 is not passed. They already have some of the strongest protections in the nation. But if Amendment 1 is passed, it will lock people into ever-increasing taxes and cement our status as a bad place to do business. And that's what's at stake on November 8th with Amendment 1. Thank you, Miley. And Joe? When workers show up to vote on November 8th, they're going to be looking at an amendment at the top of their ballot that is very clear. The Workers' Rights Amendment will guarantee your fundamental rights to organize and bargain collectively with your coworkers. Collective bargaining is one of the most powerful tools that we have for raising wages. Union workers in Illinois make 15% more than non-union workers. They're more likely to have health care, they're more likely to own their own home, and they contribute a lot more to our communities. 
The attacks from our opponents are extremely disingenuous. They're being funded by special interest groups and billionaires who want to scare and confuse voters out of voting to give themselves a pay raise. On November 8th, workers have the opportunity to vote for themselves for the first time in Illinois history and pass the workers' rights amendment. And I think it's about time that we did something to put a little bit more money in the pockets of working families. Okay, uh, thank you so much. Uh, that concludes today's interview. We want to thank uh, Miley Smith of the Illinois Policy Institute and uh, Joe Bowen of uh, Vote Yes for Voters' Rights. And the proposed constitutional amendment will be on the November 8th election ballot. Early voting and vote by mail is uh, already getting underway. Uh, you know, as uh, citizens in a democracy and a democratic republic, we've got an obligation uh, to vote, but not just to vote, to become informed voters. And so we encourage you all to research this and uh, the other issues on the ballot and to make use of your local newspaper and other newspapers around Illinois as part of that research. Uh, and uh, we want to thank you so much for uh, voting or for watching. Thank you.